Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Psalms, what are we, 115? And uh, last week we uh, took a look at the passage that said, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And we talked about what the worship of idols, what the worship of false gods, uh, why the Lord hates it uh, so very much. And so you can always go back, any of these, you can review them. And uh, watch them again if you want to or if you missed it. And we're going to continue on tonight. And we're going to look at the psalmist as he gives us a warning against trusting false gods. Now, of course, we would never, ever do anything like that, would we? You know, we're a Christian nation and we're Christian people and we have a Christian culture and all of those kind of things that we sort of uh, hide behind. And yet, uh, I think evidence... It's quite a bit contrary to that. Somebody wrote a book one time, and uh, if you've ever been to Colorado, maybe you've been to the Garden of the Gods, and this book was entitled America, Garden of the Gods. And it talks a lot of kind of a Ron Carlson type thing, for those of you who remember him, about the rise of cults and false uh, religions and the invasion of Eastern religions and those kind of things into America and a lot of that you can certainly thank the Beatles for. I remember when I was in, I'm going to say fifth grade and uh, we were in a training union class. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say training union? You know, okay. And it was uh, in a Southern Baptist church and we had our literature that was there from the back then they called it the Sunday school board of the Southern Baptist Convention and in it I remember it said that at one point John Lennon said that the Beatles are more popular than Jesus Christ and that led to a lot of protests and record burnings and different things like that and then this literature our Southern Baptist literature went on to say, and now the Beatles, one of the Beatles, talking about George Harrison, is singing My Sweet Lord. And they considered that a triumph. Well, at the time, I didn't know anything. All of, and then later on, I listened to that and I go, that's not about Jesus. In fact, all through there, they're singing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And so uh, their visit to the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is a lot of what brought in a lot of that junk into the United States and into our culture, as well as many other things. I don't want to just pick on them, but they were a big, big factor in all of that, and we've never quite been the same. And words kind of creep into our language. You know, you, you don't go very far without hearing people talk about karma, and karma is not just you reap what you sow. Karma is Hinduism, it has to do with reincarnation. You're going to pay for what you do in this life in your next life. Not heaven or hell, but how you come back the next time in the... Here's another one, Lion King people. In the circle of life, you're going to come back as something else. All of this stuff kind of creeps in. It's invaded our culture. We accept some of these kind of things without really even thinking about it. So it's good that we stop and we just say, what does the Bible say about trusting in false gods? Does it really matter? Now, one of the things you'll find as you uh, are reading through your Bible is the Bible is not pluralistic. 
Now, in our age, we think pluralism is just this wonderful, tolerant thing. And yet we are too foolish to see what it's done to our culture, what it's done to our lives, what it's doing to our families, what it's even doing to um, the country that we live in. It's the idea that, you know, everybody can just choose their own way, do whatever they want, and as long as they're sincere and as long as they're nice and as long as it's beautiful and it gives them peace, it's all good. And the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that at all except to condemn it. We are not pluralists as believers. There's one Savior and there's only one way to God and Jesus put it pretty bluntly, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So I can't get any more clear than that. And uh, yet there are so many people that want to just say, well, you choose your way, I'll choose my way, and they all kind of will lead us to the same place, and that is certainly not true. And that's not just a modern American Christian old-fashioned, conservative-type theology. That's been around for a long, long time, and the Bible has been consistent with all of this. And humans have a tendency for what I would call a misplaced trust, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Why did Eve believe the serpent when God had done so much for her? But we could say... The same thing. Why do we fall into sin? Why do we believe the tempter? Why is it that we make wrong choices even as believers? Why, do, why is this 1 John 1, 9 have to even be in the Bible after everything that Christ has done for us? Now there's a, hmm, think about that for a while. A psalmist would say, Selah, on that for a while. Why is it that after God has done so much for us that we even have sins to confess. We ought to be so grateful, so committed, and so plugged into Him and living in the power of the Holy Spirit of the Word of God that we never have to confess sin. And yet 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say, believers, we, if we say we have no sin, then we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. And so we've got to understand the fact we had the same problem, maybe to a lesser degree, but the same basic problem that we've always had and that the lost world has, and that is it is difficult sometimes to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our trust in God. That's why the Bible has to tell us on so many different occasions, even in the New Testament, my little children... Keep yourself from idols. Why? We have misplaced trust and we tend to stray. The hymn writer said, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that's a daily battle that we have with our flesh and with the uh, temptations that certainly will come our way. And so uh, we want to get this warning and we want to get it right and so uh, we think about these, these so-called pagan gods, one writer said, are weak and pitiful. They cannot even utter a sound with their throats. They can do nothing except rot and decay. And if we follow them, then that's what our future is as well. Now, whenever we think about who is it that we really trust, who is it that we really serve, who is our God really? 
Now we could all quote out of a study Bible or a systematic theology or something that we learned in a class somewhere. But the truth of the matter is your God is where you turn when you need peace. Where is America turning for peace today? Where do, where do you turn for peace? And if it's not the God of the Bible, then you've got an idolatry problem. Uh, your God is where you turn for power. I need strength. I need to be able to cope with the pressures and the troubles and the trials of this world. And I need power uh, for that. Well, where do you go? Where do you go? And there are all kinds of people today turning to the occult and turning to false religions and turning to paganism. And they think that it empowers them somehow. It's where you turn when you want provision, when I need something. Where do I go when I need food for my family, when I need clothing? Where do I turn when I need money? Where do I turn whenever there's something that is lacking in my life? And where I turn to, that would be the definition of the true God that, that I serve. And then it's also another P word here, um, propitiation. Where do you turn when you want your sins forgiven? Where do you go? What do you do? And there are a lot of people that trust in church, but they don't trust in God. They trust in the rituals of the church, but they're not trusting in God. Where the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that Christ and Christ alone is the propitiation, the payment, the wrath absorber, we might say, for us and for our sins. So if you think about that, you can think about your neighbors, you can think about family members, you can think about our culture. Where is it that Americans go when they're troubled and they need peace? Where do they go when they feel weak, helpless, and vulnerable? Where do they go for their power? Where do they go and where do they turn whenever they need something or want something or have a lack in their life? And where do they go when they think that they are imperfect, that they are sinners, that they need help, that they need to improve? Where do they turn for all of that and it's not uh, hard to come to the conclusion we have a lot of people serving a lot of false gods and so this is appropriate for our lives and it's appropriate for our culture and the time in which we live so Psalm 115 verse 4 their idols are silver and gold the work of men's hands and they have mouths but they do not speak Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle or, or touch or feel. They uh, Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Now those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trust in them. So if we're going to take that warning seriously and we realize we have the tendency to kind of drift away into other things like Solomon did and other people that were believers in the Old Testament. And if we have the tendency and our culture has the tendency to look to something and someone else besides the true and the living God, which I don't think there's any dispute about that, well then we need to Think about some things here. Number one would be this. Do not trust in anyone or anything that has only earthly value. And notice the first thing that the psalmist brings up is that they are made of silver and gold. 
And a lot of people are kind of in awe of that. If they see the silver and the gold, the ornate uh, nests, I guess you would say, of these false gods or of the pagan temples or anything like that. I was in a very, very poor village back in 19, uh, would have been 91 in Honduras. Very, very poor. They didn't have uh, electricity for us to use. And um, they didn't have running water except for certain times during the day. And, of course, we couldn't drink it. But even for bathing and that type of thing, we had to collect it and keep it so that we could use it at the proper time. People there didn't have very much food. We had one lady that had come to see. We had doctors and um, pharmacists and an optometrist and people like that, as well as preachers on this trip. And there was this one particular lady there that uh, the doctors were trying so hard to figure out what was wrong with her. And, of course, there was a little bit of a language barrier. Uh, but there also uh, was just something that wasn't making sense. And they were asking her the right questions, you know, that physicians would ask. And she was, uh, yeah, I've eaten, I've eaten. And finally, after quite a while, they asked her how much she had eaten. And she pulled a tortilla that was wrapped in a napkin, um, out of her jacket and uh, she had eaten about a fourth of a tortilla for that entire day and so she was malnourished and her blood sugar was dropping and she was hungry and she needed food and um, I remember during that time where it was the people were that poor and in that bad of shape we had um, a young man a, a, a boy actually I guess you would say he was 14 his name was uh, Emmanuel and he was so excited that we were coming. We were staying in the school compound. And um, he was helping get that all cleaned up. He was out at uh, uh, the river. And he slipped and fell on a rock and hit his head. And the uh, people there, we, were, we had just gotten our stuff unloaded. And we were sitting down to eat lunch. Uh, they made us wash our hands in Clorox water. And to this day, when I smell laundry, I get hungry. And... Um, they banged on the door. We're like, what, what in the world? And there they came in carrying this. I thought he was about eight, nine. He was 14. And they brought him in. And um, our doctors immediately started working on him doing CPR. And the water had, you know, a lot of stuff in it. We weren't supposed to drink it. And, and a lot of disease and things like that. They didn't even give it a second thought. They started doing mouth-to-mouth -mouth on that boy. And uh, he died right there on our kitchen floor while we were having lunch. The family didn't have enough money for a funeral. We took up an offering among us, just the Americans there. And uh, we were able to uh, help pay for his funeral and his burial. This is how impoverished that little town was. It was horrible, horrible. We were excited one day when we found Cokes in a little store and the only refrigeration they had was a little, you know, the little dorm refrigerator type things. And um, so we bought a Coke and it was good, but it wasn't very cold. And, uh, you know, they didn't have enough electricity to keep them cold like we like them. It's just on and on and on I could go with that with that story and the way the people lived you couldn't believe their houses their clothing all of that type of stuff medical care all of them pretty much had worms and uh, one of the first things that the doctors did was have them drink this 
red liquid that was um, deworming medicine and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that that was going on until you walked into the local Catholic church. Oh, my goodness. That altar was just dripping with gold and luxury and all of that type of thing. And I remember it made me, made me mad to think that they would take that from poor people and they would be so lavish there while you have people in your town that don't have running water, electricity, can't pay for a funeral and uh, eating a fourth of a tortilla and trying to subsist, subsist on all of that. And it just was just infuriating to think about that because that system was saying to the poor people there, you go ahead and bring your offerings because it is through your offerings that your loved ones get out of purgatory. A guy back in the 1500s, he put it this way. He said, every time a coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Nothing about that in the Bible. No, Jesus, bring your money, bring your money, bring your money. Just horrible. And they were getting rich while the people were impoverished. And I thought about all of those things when I was thinking about what we have in point one. It seems as though, well, there's a story about one of the uh, popes. They were counting money that, were, that was there in the treasury in the Vatican. And the pope said... Never again will the church have to say, quoting Peter in the book of Acts, silver and gold have I none. And one of his associates said, yeah, but neither can we say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And uh, just all of this kind of stuff where there is money and value things that are impressive, things that have silver and gold and all of that. We love all of those kind of things. But as the old joke goes, a man died and he had suitcases full of gold. He took it up to heaven and when uh, Peter met him at the gate, he said, what is that? And he said, oh, this is all of my gold. And uh, about that time, Peter said, great, call the angel of maintenance. We've got some potholes we need to fill. Because what we value down here and fight over and war over, they use for pavement in heaven. Does that not tell you something? Does that not speak to your soul? Because we have this tendency to worship things that we think are valuable, to sell our lives out for things that are valuable. And the idols try to make themselves impressive. Not all of them are wood or stone. Some of them are very, very beautiful and impressive. And there's a lot of wealth tied up in them but the book of jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 thus says the lord which means we better listen cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the lord and that's exactly what happens when we see that type of thing. And that's what idols do. And the more impressive they are and the more needy we find ourselves, the more inclined we are to turn in those directions. And yet the Bible says that that is cursed from the Lord. Number two, do not trust in anyone or anything. If you're taking notes, you're going to see that on every point. Anyone or anything, here it is, that is finite. That is finite. You find that the world is trusting in things that are going to pass away. 
Those idols are destined to rot, to be buried, to be ruins dug up, dug up by some archaeologist someday. The people that we tend to follow, they're going to die. They're going to decay in the grave. They are going to return to, well, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Isn't that what we say at, uh, or you see on funerals, especially on TV? I mean, we look at all of this and we realize that we have this tendency to trust in things that aren't going to last much longer than we do. And even if they do, their end is coming. This whole world, the universe that we're in, is a finite universe. It doesn't last forever. There is a day coming. Read the epistles of the Apostle Peter and he talks about that. Don't trust in anyone or anything that is finite. In other words... What would we say to define finite? Well, it's easy for us to say they have an ending. They're going to end. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to die or whatever the case may be. That, that's true. But I would say you need to look back the other direction. What do you mean by that? Does it have a beginning? If there's ever a time that God or goddess did not exist, then it means they are not eternal they're finite. And that's why the Bible is so clear to stress that our God was not created and He has neither beginning nor ending. He is an infinite God. There was never a time that He didn't exist. There, was never a, there will never be a time when He does not exist. It's infinity that way and infinity back that way too. And that'll make your brain blow uh, a couple of circuit breakers on that. So if you are worshiping a finite God, a God with a beginning or a God with an ending, or you're following a person with a beginning or an ending, you're putting your trust in the wrong place because the scripture talks about the idols being the work of man's hands. They are finite. They're created by a person and later they may be destroyed by a person. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight or direct your paths. We have this tendency to think that if we could just get this secret message. Have you ever noticed how if you put secret in a sermon... You've heard, you've heard probably a lot of sermons. The secret to victorious life. The secret to overcoming the enemy. The secret. Well, first of all, if it's in the Bible, it's not a secret. God's made it known. So that's just something that we kind of are intrigued by. But it's not just preachers that do that. Have you ever been walking by the checkout stand and you see the tabloids? National Enquirer. The secret of the stars and their diets. Oh, well, I want to look like they do. So you take a look and you want to see the secret. You uh, may have a, a book or a magazine or something. The, the secret that medical science, that doctors know that they don't want you to know. Hey, that'll make you click on something on Facebook. It's clickbait, right? And uh, you look on that and all they do is steal your private information and tell you absolutely nothing uh, why we're intrigued that there's got to be a secret the secret that the rich don't want you to know and yet this rich guy is telling you what what's going on with that and uh, you know what happens when you read those things or look at those things here's the secret of the stars and everyone else in medical science you've got to eat less eat better and move more 
You know what happens? You lose weight, you get in shape. That's the secret. I didn't want to hear that. I know, we're hoping there will be a pill. We're hoping there will be a magic fruit that we eat, and boom, everything takes place. Nope, you got to exercise, you got to eat right, and you got to eat less if you're going to lose weight. There you go, there's the secret. What about the secret of the rich? Spend less than you earn, don't go into debt, save your money for the things that you want, and invest wisely. There you go. I just told you the secret. You'll be rich if you do those type of things. We're always intrigued by a secret. And that's why we find such a fascination with the occult. Everything that we need in life, well, it can't be in an old dusty book that's been around for thousands of years. There's got to be a secret. There's a demon. There's a ghost. There's somebody else, a spirit out there, a departed loved one. It's going to tell us something, the secret for what we need to know. Isn't that right? So you go to a seance and try to talk to somebody who's dead or the Ouija board or tarot cards or any number of things like that. There's always this intrigue for the secret. We know the secret that no one else knows. Well, that's what was happening to Israel all the time. They, uh, it, uh, the things that they needed to raise their families and to have good crops and to be blessed by the Lord, it couldn't be in something that Moses had just laying out there that anybody could see and they've heard all their lives. But oh, those Canaanites, man, they may have found the secret. And it's intriguing, a secret. All you have to do is have somebody come up to you and say, hey, I've got something. But don't tell anybody I told you. Why? Because it's a secret. You know, all of a sudden, you're like Ross Perot, all ears. You want to hear it because we all want to know the secret. And we're convinced that there is a secret to raising children, a secret to having money, a secret to uh, a long marriage. And by the way, happy anniversary, Sammy. 38 years ago tonight, we were in church. There's a secret, right? A secret. And so they were trapped with all of this kind of stuff too. The Bible tells us we've got to be careful that we are trusting where? In the Lord. How much? A little? No, with all our heart. There's no room for anything else because the secret is in Jesus. And trusting Him as Savior and Lord. Number three. Do not trust in anyone or anything that is not living. You say, well, who would be dumb enough to do that? Well, notice in verse 5, that thing that we saw in, what was it, Psalm 135, 2. It's very similar. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They uh, ear, Eyes they have, but they do not see. And they have ears, but they do not hear. And noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. And feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And, uh, you know, when I was looking at that, I thought, do we, in our culture, in our enlightened age, would we be so foolish as to follow Something like that. Well, I mean, the answer has got to be yes, because there are people in America that do worship idols. But none of us would ever do anything like that. And yet, how many people are on the streets today 
And they are living a horrible life, a sad life, because they can't get rid of their drug addiction. And so they are literally serving drugs and alcohol. They're just as dead as the idols, aren't they? And we think about the problem that we have, even now with... uh, Uh, fentanyl and things like that that you hear about. I mean, it's just sad the way people want to just be blitzed out of their mind because they don't want to deal with the realities of life or any of their own problems or anything like that. And uh, it's it's very, very sad. And, uh, you know, when you think about somebody who would just go that direction, not because they had surgery and the doctor gave them narcotics and they got hooked. That's a, that's a different animal. It's still sad and it's still bad, and I pray for people like that. But what about the people who just, they live to get drunk? I had a roommate in college one time that uh, he just lived for the weekend so he could get so drunk that he couldn't remember anything. And uh, if he could remember whatever he did, He must not have had a good time. But if he couldn't remember it, man, he was laughing about it, bragging about it, and talking about it. And he couldn't wait until the next weekend would come and he would do that. I wonder where he is now. I wonder what his life is like now. I hope he quit. I hope he's not an alcoholic. I hope he hadn't ruined his family or ruined children or anything like that. I hope he wasn't a drunk driver and hit somebody and hurt somebody or killed somebody. You know what I'm saying with all of that? Just why is that so intriguing? Why is, does that get such a hold? Why is it that we pursue all of that? And, you know, it's a lot of songs written about, you know, alcohol and getting drunk. And a lot of people talk about it. And uh, it's in just about every show and all of that. And boy, it gets you thinking, boy, these people just really have something because their God that's in that glass can give them peace. Their God that's in that glass can make them forget about all of their hard times. Their God in their glass can keep them going and keep them functioning. And boy, it's sad whenever you get to the point where you have to have alcohol not to get drunk, but just to appear to be normal. On that. That's enslavement. That's not freedom. That's enslavement. But then I got to thinking about something else. They have eyes, but they don't see. Hmm. Noses, but they don't smell. Ears, but they don't hear. And they don't mutter anything through their throat. I would describe that. There's a guy on there. He has eyes. What do you see, George? And the answer is nothing. Hey, George, I need about a million more of you. Come on. No, no response. You know why? Because this is the idol a lot of Americans bow down to, sell their souls for. This is the God that a lot of people will ruin their marriage over, ruin their children over, and some of them will even abandon their family if there are enough of these. I got to thinking that's a perfect description of what the psalmist was talking about. The psalmist made a perfect description of money. And there's nothing wrong with money inherently, 
A lot of people go around and say, well, you know, the good book says that money is the root of all evil. Well, no, it, the good book doesn't say that. In fact, God gives us money and he gives us all things freely to enjoy, the Apostle Paul told Timothy. It says that the love of money, though, is the root of all, and, and it means all types of evil. See, if you take this out of the abortion industry, it would die overnight. There's a lot of money in it. You take this out of the uh, uh, drug culture and all of that, if somebody weren't making money, the cartels in Mexico and places like that, drug lords in America and all of that, the mob, if you take, take this out of that, it, it'd dry up tomorrow. Prostitution, sex trafficking, all of those kind of things that we talk about and we see as being big problems. Ooh, here's one. How about corruption in politics? Follow the money. Follow the money. Why? Because that is America's God of choice. And you can sit in church and still bow before this. You can sing songs to Jesus and still bow before this. And you've got to be careful. Because our tendency is, if I've got enough money in the bank, I feel at peace. I feel secure. I feel happy. I might even feel generous towards someone else. And along with that, I wouldn't say that, but maybe a little bit of superiority to somebody who doesn't have money and on and on and on. We can go, can you see it? This is the kind of stuff that we fall for, even as believers sometimes. And so the Bible tells us that we are not supposed to trust in these type of things that are not living. We have a living God. Our God lives. Our Lord rose from the dead. He is hearing us. He lives within us. He gives us life. He is the author of our life. Paul said in him we live and move and have our being. This is the God that we serve. In Deuteronomy 31.20 it says, For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. See, our Lord knows. You're not surprising God when you fall into sin. He already knew it. Christ already paid for it on the cross. And he knows and remembers. That's why another psalmist says he remembers our frame that we are dust. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Hey, this is to be enjoyed. This is to be used as a tool. This is to be used to bless other people. This is to be used for the work of God. But it is never supposed to rule our lives. There's only one who has that right. And that is Jesus Christ. Number four. Do not trust in anyone or anything <laughs> who is like you. You know why I can't follow uh, Joseph Smith into Mormonism? He's got the same problems I do. He doesn't have answers. He's got problems. Yeah, sorry, can't do that. This is why when Jesus came into the world, 
he was such a radical departure from anything else because he came into the world perfect and as the God-man. God in human flesh. It's not too far from Christmas when you start counting up the weeks. And we're going to be singing songs that say things like, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. A lot of theology in a song like that. And that's what Jesus is. So there's a sense to where I could say, and this point kind of, well, because he is like me. And yet he's radically different from me. You get it? He is like me because he put on flesh. He got hungry. He got tired. He, uh, you know, had uh, times when people would betray him. And there were times when he was righteously angry and all of that. And I could say, yeah, it's kind of like me. And the issue would be with kind of like, wouldn't it? But then I could also look at him and say, yeah, but when he died, he paid for my sins. I could never do that for me or anyone else. And then three days later, he took his life up again and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Boy, there's no way I could do anything like that on my own. So you can see on one hand, he kind of is like me, but radically different than me. But so many of these false religions, you'll see, they were started by somebody that they've got more hang-ups than you do. They've got more problems than you do. And the reason they came up with their cockamamie doctrine and religion and ideas and all of that is because they were more messed up than you are. Have you ever kind of gotten the idea sometimes you go to see a psychologist and they've got more problems than you do? That's why they're in psychology. And you would be right. There's a lot of them like that. They go trying to find some kind of an answer. And there are a lot of people in cults and in false religions and in the occult and these type of things. They're more messed up than you do. They haven't found the secret. They haven't found the answers. They're still searching and they probably won't even be with it in another five or six years. Don't follow somebody who's going to be like you, who's not any better than you are. And that's why the Lord Jesus came to show us the Father. We could never find God. We could never see Him anywhere. He came to reveal the Father to us. And so, trust someone who is worthy of your trust because those who make them, the idols, are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. They're spiritually dead. They're devoid of peace and power. They don't have anybody that can answer their prayers. There's nobody there that can protect them. There's nobody there that can wash away their sin. They have none of that, no matter what they say. That's why you've got to come to Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is we need truth, and we can't find it in ourselves or in the world in which we live. It has to be revealed to us from an outside source, and that's why it came from God, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable. And then he tells us what it's profitable for in that. We need truth and the scripture is truth. And we also need righteousness and yet we can't be, I mean, you know, you look at yourself and you realize all your righteousness is as filthy what? Rags, yeah. You need righteousness, it's not filthy rags. Where do you get that? Well, there's none good but God. Aren't you glad to know that you serve a God who said, yeah, I've got perfect righteousness in here. I will give it to you and I'll take your filthy rags and put it on my son on the cross and he'll pay for it in full and you'll have the righteousness 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just amazing. They're outside of us and they're found in God alone. Truth and righteousness. Psalm 6 verse 3 says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in, the son of, in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and in that very day, his plans perish. Boy, that is the truth. Fads come and go. All of these cult leaders come and go. And all of the things that they do didn't do any more for them than they will do for you. They can't do anything. They are powerless and they are foolish. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I'd like to send that verse to some Christian songwriters and Christian artists who talk about following the heart and my heart is this and my heart... well. Solomon said, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. Well, how do we walk wisely? The Bible tells us very clearly. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. We've got to walk with him. We've got to seek after his heart. Follow in his ways, not our own. Our heart will lead us astray. And this is some of the stuff that has torn our country and our culture apart. Information gathered by the U.S. Census Bureau has revealed in the most recent census that, you ready for this? Just 17.8% of households in the United States have married parents with children under the age of 18. 18% in our country. Let that sink in. That's not leave it to beaver world, is it? That's not Ozzie and Harriet world. That's not any of that. That's amazing to me. Only 18%. It represents a significant fall of 40% since the 1970s and is the lowest number of traditional nuclear families ever recorded. And they started recording that around the time of the Civil War. Oh my, how we have fallen. How we have fallen. It means that just 23.1 million households out of a total of 130 million households have Traditional family setups. You ready for this? That number is a fall of 18.6% since just last year. This isn't a decline, a downgrade. We've fallen off of a cliff, folks. We've fallen off of a cliff. The number of cohabitating couples with children increased by 25% from the previous 2010 census. When you get and you think about religious things, 60% of Americans believe they're going to go to heaven. And you wonder about that when you look at their lifestyle. James said, faith without works is dead. He said, show me... Uh, you want to see my faith and watch my works? Well, our fruit and our works doesn't sound 
very promising on this. 10% of Americans believe in reincarnation. I don't suppose that's a big surprise. In fact, I kind of thought that might be a little bit higher. Uh, this one was interesting. 50% believe that they will be reunited with their pets. Better make sure you have a leash put in your casket when you're buried. Right? And a Pew Research poll indicates that the number of people in the U.S. who describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated increased by six points in the last five years and ten points in the last decade. And there's still not a lot of them, but it's the fastest growing religious group denomination in the United States right now. Which one is growing the fastest? The one that is called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. More and more Americans, particularly under the age of 30, are saying when asked about religious affiliation, they bypass Christian, Jewish, Muslim, any of those things, and they put none. They're socially liberal. They don't have any kind of truth because they don't believe the Bible or anything like that. And uh, they are radically pro-abortion, radically pro-same-sex marriage and all of that type of thing. And uh, these are the people that are voting. These are the people that um, are coming of age. So what's going to happen in decades to come? And that's why I'm going to ask you to think about those things and pray about it even tonight. This is why we reach out to schools. You'll, you'll find a thing in your newsletter tonight where you can donate things to reach out to one of our schools that um, we were asked to help, and we've helped a couple of times. And, um, boy, it's a sad, sad thing. But this is the time for us to do something and to be involved and to be active in our communities and with our neighbors and with younger people and show them the love of Christ and teach them the truth and minister to them wherever uh, we possibly can because we have a hurting world and a hurting nation that is imploding and uh, this is the time where somebody like you who knows the Lord, you know the truth and you know the answers to not be silent but let your light shine before men so that others see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. If that was ever, ever true, it's true now and it's true today. And if you have children or grandchildren that are under the age of 30, boy, you really need to be praying for them. And you say, well, what about mine that are over 30? Don't give up hope. Our God is a God who, did, who does the impossible. And if the Apostle Paul can be converted from Saul of Tarsus, anybody can be saved by the power of God. But we've got to pray, and we've got to share the gospel, and we've got to take all of this very, very seriously. So I'm going to ask you to do that. We'll pray in just a little bit. Um, Got a newsletter? Make sure you have it so you know what's happening and where you're supposed to be. And you can 